Welcome to the Company of Believers podcast. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by this message. Jesus bless you. Y'all got your Bibles, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 6, please. I'm also excited to, that sounds loud, um, to... Say hello to Dwelling Place, Brother David White, and Miss Brenda, and the family there. It's pretty neat. They're they're streaming live to us today. They're streaming us live today, and they're in place of their church service today, resting at home. It's exciting for me, their family, because I'm a father in that house, just like I'm a father in this house. And uh, today, I'm not preaching. We're going to have a family meeting. And it's inevitable that a lot of y'all are going to go home mad, and some of you probably are not going to come back. And I, that is not my goal nor my desire. But you're going to make some decisions today, and I'm going to enforce it in the Holy Ghost. And that is my right as the spiritual father sat over this house by the Lord. And I'm fishing to bring some of that spiritual authority to bear. And most of y'all don't understand what that means. But it means God is fishing back the words out of my mouth. And you will be forced to make some decisions. Uh, so is that the serious tone? Y'all get how this is fishing to go? I love y'all. You stay. <laughs> uh, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. But I'm very bothered because a lot of things are being said. Uh, there's an undertone in the house and in the family of God and in the church of God across our nation in these days. And, and it, we just need to wake up and be aware so we can properly move forward. You know, I, I, I'm not the best person in this house. But I do seek to be right. There's a lot of people in here that are better people than I am. And, and so it matters to me that I'm right. So let's read in Acts chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 1, excuse me. I'm glad not how we got this certain this certain position where where our family and Clanton dwelling place is, is live streaming with us, but I am very glad that they get to be a part of this meeting because they're family with us because of my relationship with them and, and Brother DJ's relationship with Brother David that's is developing and growing and, and so it, it's a it's a good thing. But in Acts chapter six, verse one, I'm gonna read. Now in these days, or in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among 
Seek out from among them you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may appoint over who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas the proselyte from Antioch. Whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread. And then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Hallelujah. This is an amazing time in the, in the, in the history of the church. You basically started with one person, Jesus. Then you went to 12. Then you went to 120 in the upper room. Then you went to 3,000 in the blink of an eye. Then you went to 5,000 in another blink of an eye. And that's just counting the men that is how they did in the Bible. So you're, you're a few years down the road after the resurrection of Jesus. Church is growing there's signs and wonders. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. The gospel's being preached. And it, it, it is amazing. And the result is the house of God is growing. The family of God is growing. But with growth, there always comes resistance. And I'm not talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about growth in the spirit of the Lord. In the understanding of the heart of God. Growth in the understanding of who you are and what your purpose is on this planet is always met with resistance from hell. Every step of the way. And they're encountering that. And, and you know, I've learned that hell is pretty smart. The devil's a pretty smart adversary. He's been doing this for a long time. And he has lots of ways and many strategies on how to stop the people of God and the work of God and the purpose of God in every generation. And he's just continuously applying that. And it's, it's almost, I've seen down through the years, it's like he has a checklist that he goes down looking for which one, which strategy that he can get the house of God and the people of God to submit to so that he can come in and have his way. You go into a new village where there's never been the gospel preached and people get saved, whether through a miracle or just hearing the word of God for the first time, and all of a sudden, man, things are happening and there's, there's families coming in and you look up one day and you just got a house full of people loving God. And it's just growing and you can't stop it. And, and, and usually the first thing that happens is persecution in those settings. Either it's from family or from neighbors, or from the village as a whole, they come driven by hell to apply great threats and force to try to stop the kingdom of God from being established in their myth, which has been dominated by darkness since the beginning. And they come and they beat people and they throw them in jail. That's why I don't do most of the holidays that y'all celebrate, because I've seen the true nature of most of them and how it's been perverted 
and they beat and throw our brothers in jail if they don't participate. Because there, there's no mask on it. You just see the idolatry of it. And that's why when you do certain things around my kids, my kids just get this look of horror on their face. Because they've seen what happens to the people that they love when they no longer submit to idolatry. And I won't say no more about that. And so they'll, they'll come and they'll beat them. They'll throw them in jail because they won't participate in their idol festivals anymore. Or they won't give money towards those celebrations. Their family throws them out of their houses. They throw them off of their family lots. It's been theirs for generations. They, they go from one moment. There's a brother who his family got born again listening to us preach on the radio. And through a series of visits and, and time, he, the, a young guy got born again listening to me preach on the radio with my bad Spanish. And God touched his heart and he, he really got saved. We started visiting him. And, and then, it, you know, after his family, his mom and dad persecuted him, they eventually got born again because he refused to give in, which allowed the Holy Ghost to work on them. And he began to see that even though those of your house may be your enemies, that if you believe, you and your house can be saved. And so he didn't cave in to their threats and the opposition. He actually trusted God to do his work. And, and so now his whole family's getting born again. And they have lived on this particular piece of property for uh, it was like 30 years or something. They planted the coffee field that they lived in the middle of. They planted the corn fields every year that they worked on. And they planted the banana fields that they lived in the middle of. But the land did not belong to them. It belonged to a very rich landowner who, who had a, a, an agreement with them that he got a, the, the vast majority of the harvest and the money, and they got you know, a little bit to compensate their work and to live off of, and they got a house in the middle of the property. And for 30 years, they had worked this land like it was theirs and lived all of it pretty well. But all of a sudden, Daddy gets born again, and he can't read more. He can read a little bit, but I mean, he is the most humblest, unassuming man that you would ever meet. Just an Indian that's never had a chance in life, Nobody's ever cared about him until, you know, Jesus just comes and just overwhelms him with love. And he's just so undone by the mercy of God and who his father is now that he, he just, he don't ever talk unless he talks about Jesus. Like he has no courage to speak to anybody unless he's talking about Jesus. And it's so awesome. So here he is, radically born again, his wife's born again, and she was in her 60s and testified to us that she was about to jump off a bridge into a river and die because she hated her life and never thought it was going to be different than what it was. And she was making plans to commit, her, commit suicide, 60 years old, a grandma. And Jesus just changed everything. So daddy is happy. And the landowner comes just to do his yearly revision of the land and talk to, talk to his friend who's worked his land. And, and they're walking through the fields. And, and, and the whole time, our brother, the father, he's just telling him what Jesus has been doing in his life and how he'd been born again, how his family was changing, his wife was changing. And he just testified to him about Jesus. Unashamed. <laughs> hardly any Bible knowledge, but with the power of the Holy Ghost because of the relationship of the Father with him now. And the result was, after the landowner left, a week later, he got a message, a letter, 
brought by a lawyer and policeman saying you have 30 days to be off of this property and if you cut one leaf, take one banana, eat one coffee bean, you will go to jail. And he was so offended because this man was loving Jesus and having church on his property because of his, his commitment to idolatry that he threw him off after 30 years. He didn't just lose his job and his income for all of his family and his son and his family. He lost his home. He lost everything that he had done for 30 years in the blink of an eye because of Jesus. So that's usually how it goes. You either give in or you get out. You either give in or you go to jail. You either give in or we kill you. And it falls inside of those parameters in one form or another. And if that doesn't work and hell can't intimidate you, then he starts going down that checklist. And he, he, he's looking for a certain, whatever it is, he doesn't even care. Just whatever it is that he can stop the flow of God in your life so you can't touch other people around you because that is the chief goal. Once you surrender your life to God, hell's next objective, if he cannot get you to turn your back on the Lord, is to make you inutile, useless, fruitless. That's his next objective with you. That's his next objective with the house of God. And so I've watched this, y'all, over and over and over. Every time I've gone to a new village and planned a new church or walked with brothers, I've seen, I mean, I, I just close my eyes. I can just pretty much tell you how this is fishing to go. And I almost give you a time clock on how it's going to go. And it's not because I'm just awesome. It's just I've just seen it so many times. And so I'm seeing it here. And this doesn't make us different or special or bad. It just makes us in a fight with hell. But most people don't ever even realize that they're in a war. And that's the problem. They don't really believe that they have an adversary who walks about as a roaring lion. And if you don't have an adversary, you don't have to be up in arms. If you don't have an adversary or a thief trying to break into your house, you don't have to be vigilant at night. You can just stay asleep while he takes everything you got. And when you get up and walk into your house to get your cup of coffee, you realize you've been robbed. But it's too late then. And us as the children of God, we're not supposed to be asleep in the light. We're supposed to be awake, vigilant, ever watchful, praying, understanding that we have an enemy. And I've heard some people say it this way. I'm not in hand-to-hand combat with hell. I don't have to do that. I have to worship Jesus. And then Jesus defends me. And when I see hell trying to creep in, I just worship Jesus more. But I don't act like it's not happening. And so right here you see this amazing church growth going according to the Bible. Salvation, the gospel being preached, salvation, healing, miracles, signs, wonders, and the poor being taken care of. Practicalities in there also. Widows are being fed. 
And then all of a sudden, you see this. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews. Now, when it says Hebrews right here, and I, I have studied, and I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but it's actually, when it says Hebrews, it's referring to the native people of Israel. People that are within the boundaries and are, are, are native to Israel, the physical place. And usually when it's referring to Jews, it's referring to people who are, who are Jewish and of, the, of their father Abraham, but live outside or from other places outside of Israel because of the dispersion and the persecution that drove them out in the scattering that God surrendered them to. So what you basically have is people that have the same faith now in the gospel but that are from all over the world or their known world. You have every race. You have an an axe. I'll read it in a minute. You have 16 different countries that are spoken of just like that in one sentence that were all present. And they're all inside of this grand new multitude of believers. And so hell couldn't intimidate them with the persecution. So he, he, he changes his strategies and he tries to bring division in the house of God. And so what does he do? He immediately begins to play on the fleshly wars that are always at play on the face of the earth. I don't like you because you don't look like me. I don't like you because you ain't from the same place I'm from. I don't like you because you don't have the same amount of money I do. I don't like you because you didn't go to the same school I went to. The things we're facing today, they're not new. They've always been. But we think they just started happening. And they haven't. In Acts chapter 2 it says this. And how is it that we hear, chapter 2 verse 8. Thank you guys. How is it that we hear each in our own language? in which we were born, Parthian, Medes, and Elamites, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, joining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That's really an amazing thing right there. My pastor, Brother Pat, that I mean we came out of, he we had probably the first large multiracial church in Tuscaloosa. And I, I don't even like saying it like that, but there's no other way for people to understand what I'm talking about. Because there's not anyway, he used to say. And quote John, where it talks about, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Okay? So if somebody really is lifting up Jesus, standing in this position right here, facing this, it should be a representation of what's outside of these walls. It shouldn't be a white church. Shouldn't be a black church, shouldn't be a Mexican church, 
If your church looks just like you and your world around you does not, that's a problem. And it doesn't mean God's not being promoted there and gospel's not going forth and they don't love Jesus. It just means at the very core of what being lifted up, there's a little bit of a diversion. And that's not right. This is not a multiracial church or a multicultural church. This is the house of God. Where the sons and daughters of God join. And what color you are, how tall you are, how short, how skinny, how fat, how much money you got, where you went to school or didn't go to school, it's got nothing to do while we're in this house. Y'all stop clapping. Y'all stop clapping. We're not, this ain't a clapping service. I promise you, you're not going to want to clap in a minute. I do love y'all. Them, them things are not right, y'all. That's not right. That's not what heaven's going to look like. It's not what hell's going to look like either. And that's not what this house is going to be. Nobody has a right to divide the house of God. Not even hell has that right. And, and we, we have to be different. We have to be different. I am here, standing right here before y'all, because God told me to come. I didn't choose to be here. I didn't pick this place. I didn't pick this country. And I don't mean that in a negative tone. I just didn't. God told me to come here. In the story. And I didn't approach it any other way. God told me to come. But he has intertwined my hearts with y'all's hearts and, and with David White and Brenda and them in Tuscaloosa and Tuscaloosa and Clanton and, and, and Ben and Carl and all of the, the Jay, all the people there that I know and I can my heart is intertwined beyond a physical level, but in the spirit of the Lord and in the blood of Jesus. And he's put me in a position. To, to, to lead and to influence and to be a father and to put a right example in showing y'all how to get to heaven and to walk with Jesus on this place. And in both of those families, Brother DJ and David White, they're men of God who have the same heart that I've got. And when you stand back and look at their lives across the board, as different as we three are, we look really a lot alike now. What we talk about, what we desire to see, what we pursue, what we spend our time doing, it, it looks so similar, it's kind of scary. But it's right. And see, between the three of us, God has set us three as fathers into these houses, and you're supposed to be looking at our life and following us as we follow Christ. Where we don't follow Christ, you keep going. Paul made that statement. Follow me as I follow Christ because he knew there was probably some areas in his life that weren't wholly submitted and wholly conformed to the image of the life of Christ and he was smart enough to recognize that being an amazing man as he was. And he gave people permission. If you see I'm deviating, don't deviate with me because you follow me. Follow him because I'm trying to follow Jesus.
but I am flesh, and I don't get it right every time. But when I begin to listen and look and, and observe the lives of the people that are around us, I, I, you're just not following. You're not following our examples. You're not. Some, some, some other people in both of those homes, here and in Clinton, they're not following us. They're following this world. They're following the culture that's outside of these, outside of these doors. And they're bringing that into the house of God, which is causing dissension. And that's not going to be. You know, I got a bunch of kids, y'all know that. And they're all different. And there's some things that I just do not tolerate in my home. I do not tolerate chaos. I don't mean my kids aren't yelling, running around. I have what I call in my house controlled chaos. Because I don't want it to be quiet. I don't, when I say orderly, I don't want it to be where everybody walks in, sits down, and gets up, and moves. Uh, I don't even want it to be where they dress and act just like me, even though I try to put that on them to a certain degree. But there's going to be peace in my home. I'm going to make peace if you don't want to have it. I am a peacemaker. I am. And I got this really big table. Quite a few of y'all have been in my home. My home's open. People are in that all the time. I love that because we're family. And, and I have this really long table that me and my kids built that can feed, that can feed lots of people at one time, and I love that. And, and so we all sit there pretty regular, eating as a family with all the people that come. And, <clears throat> you know, my kids have learned very early in life that you can do lots of things, and I'm pretty lenient with a lot of things, actually, as long as you do the ones that I like and demand that you do. I give space for lots of different things. But what I don't give space for is fighting at my table. When I sit down to eat my food that God gave me, however he chose to put it on the plate that day, with my wife who God gave me, I'm going to do it in peace. And my kids learn from, you start arguing and fighting at my table, I just get up, I go over and get that plate of food, and I walk right over to the dog or the garbage can, and I do this, and I let them sit there and watch us eat. And I ain't playing. I'm not joking. You're not going to fight at my table. My home is a refuge. It's a refuge from hell. It's a refuge from the chaos outside that I can't control. It's a refuge from, from everything that I can defend in, in, the, in the Lord. It's a refuge. And you're not going to bring fighting into my home and divide my house. I will... It provokes me faster than anything else they can have outside of talking back to their mama. Nothing I don't tolerate. And in our house, this place is supposed to be a refuge. When you come in here, regardless of what hell's trying to do to you outside, regardless what your situation is and, and your station or place in life, regardless of what's going on in the world, when you walk into this house or in Clanton, this place should be a, a, a sanctuary of peace for you to escape the sun that's beating down and burning everybody else up on the outside. Okay? This is not a place where we bring the chaos 
of the world outside inside. It has to be stopped at that door. And actually, it shouldn't be stopped at that door. It should be checked at the door of your heart. And, and you know, this is not at one particular person. There, this is an attack and an onslaught of hell against us. And most of us are just not aware that it's really happening. We're being manipulated. And we're not even aware that it's actually really affecting some people in a bad way. And so I want us to be aware. I want us to understand the responsibility that we have. I, when Rachel was, was, when we were newly married, uh, we had a couple of years. Finney was about a year old. We came out of Mexico, and Rachel's back went out. And uh, she was young. I mean, she was like 21, 22 or something, strong and healthy. And it went out so bad that she was several weeks in excruciating pain and couldn't get up. And, you know, in my first thought and her first thought and our, our faith is we don't just get up and go to the doctor. You know, we see God, and if God does that, then that's what we do. But, you know, our first step is toward, toward him in every situation as much as we can. And so, you know, I, I didn't take her to the doctor. I asked her what she wanted to do, and she didn't want to go. She wanted me to keep praying and fasting. And so she was laying up in my mom and dad's house and, and just hurting and finally, one night, she said, I can't tell you no more. Take me to the doctor right now. I want the pain just to stop. I don't care what you do. I just want to stop. Yes, ma'am. And she couldn't walk, so I scooped her up, you know, and I carried her and put her in my truck. And it's two, one or two, three o'clock in the morning. I don't remember. And I took her down to Jackson Hospital. And, you know, she's crying the whole way. She can't move. She's just like she's be getting electrified. And I, I get the hospital. I pull up to the emergency room doors, you know, and I just get out. You know, and I haven't been sleeping for, for, for a couple of weeks now. I haven't been eating, been fasting. You know, I'm frazzled. You know, I can't get my wife to stop hurting. Uh, you know, I, I prayed for a guy a couple of days before this who had broke his back in a car accident, and I heard his back go pop, 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 pop as God healed him. And I go home and pray for my wife, and I can't get her just to stop crying. And, and so, you know, there's things that happen that you, you can't explain, but it doesn't change who he is. But it doesn't make you not be human either. It doesn't make you not have emotions. It doesn't make life be raw and hurtful sometimes. But I, 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 I scooped her up, you know, and, I, and I, I'm going in the door because, you know, if this is what she wants to do, then maybe in Jesus' name she's going to get relief. And I walk in there, and there, there's a guy at the front, and it's full of people, you know. It was, I don't know what night it was, but it was full of people. And I walk right up to the dead, and I'm holding her. I mean, I'm holding her like a baby. And she's just crying. I mean, just crying. And I said, my wife's hurting her back. And, and I said, I, please, can y'all, you know, I need you to help her. And he's like, all right, fill out this paper. And, I'm, you know, I'm like this. You know, and I'm, I'm there now. Because there's not much that matters to me in my life except Jesus and my wife. And if you mess with either one of those, you, you find out how quick they mean to me, how much they really mean to me. And I'm standing there holding my wife, and he's just with a belligerent attitude, and, and he, he, he's like, ah, well, he just skipped him. And, you know, and he's, I start trying to tell him the information, and Rachel's just crying the whole time. 
And I get down to the occupation part, and he asked me what I do, and I said, I'm a missionary. I preach the gospel. And his attitude, as bad as it was when I walked in, just went, yeah. And he just completely, I mean, it's almost like he manifested right there. And, and you know, he, he had a lifestyle that was not in agreement with God. Okay? Just, and he knew it, and I knew it. And he already had a preformed opinion about who I was when I said that. And he immediately slotted me into a category. And, and as bad as he was treating me because of how much he hated his job and his life, I don't know. He, it went worse. And he says, we don't have no beds for you. So y'all are just going to sit in that chair. And it wasn't that I had a problem with that being true. It was the absolute disregard on how he was treating my wife. And I said, excuse me? He said, you're going to have to go sit down. I said, I'm not going to sit down. You're going to take care of my wife. And I'm holding her. And he started mouthing off. And that didn't offend me, but I could see that he was trying to punish her because of who we are in God. And he just started going off on me, and I, I lost it. I'm holding my wife standing at the front desk in front of an emergency room full of people and he is just getting so mouthy and I just with one free hand took everything on the thing holding Rachel, I was a lot stronger then, and just everything on that emergency room reception desk, it went 10 feet that way. And I set Rachel right on the reception desk of the counter, Jackson Hospital. And I said, she ain't sitting down. She can't sit in a chair in case you can't notice. She's not moving till you get a bed. And you won't see another person until she does. Oh, my gosh. He said, I'm calling the police. I said, you better not call the police. You better call everybody in the police force. <laughs> because I'm not, and hey, and I'm not proud of that. I was so, I mean, I, physically I was just gone. Uh, emotionally I was frazzled. But I was so mad at the way he was treating my wife. I mean, and I wasn't playing. I was, I was going to fight before they moved me. And if they touched her, I was going to try to kill somebody. And that's where I was at. I'm not, that's not big talk. I mean, that's, I'm being honest with you. That's where I physically was at. It was not a holy moment. And the only reason I'm telling you this is because my wife, who knows me better than all of y'all, she knows there's one thing that matters more to me than her, and that's Jesus. And the whole time, I am, and you know, I'm losing. I'm having a complete physical, mental meltdown, and it's fishing to go really bad for everybody. And my wife, in her excruciating pain, crying, you know what she starts saying to me? Bo, you're witness. You're witness. You're witness. You're, but your witness, Bo, that's all she could say to me because she knew there was nothing that was stopping me at that point except what I was going to be able to do after that moment passed. She knew that the only way that she had a chance of reining me in, because she, she's never seen me like that. She doesn't know that person. But she knew the only chance she had of getting that back simmered down and under control was to remind me of who I love more than her and the effect of the actions of my life, what they were going to have when this moment was gone, because it would be gone in a moment. 
And it was, I would never be able to look that man in the face and witness to him in a way that would change his life forever like mine had been changed. So I don't understand. Nothing else matters to me except seeing you get to Jesus. I don't live like anything else matters. I don't spend my money like anything else matters. I don't spend my time like anything else matters. Everything I have is so that you can see Jesus. Because that's how he lived for me. So, I don't understand how some of y'all think and live your lives inside of the house of God. I don't understand how you think other opinions trumps everything else. Let me tell you something. One day, the United States of America probably won't be here, and the world still will be. Who knows when that'll be? I don't know. I don't really care. I care that when this country is gone, the kingdom of God stands in this place. When I gave my life away to Jesus, I entered into a, a, a kingdom that took preeminence over every other thing in my life, and that's the kingdom of heaven. My speech is supposed to inflect that and reflect that. My actions are supposed to witness that to everybody who examines my life, that I am not of this place. I, I heard this guy preaching one time, and he, and he made this statement. It kind of took me off guard, but I have seen it to be true because I, I examine it now. But he said that uh, he was a world-traveling preacher, and he, he said, you know, you can tell what principalities rule in, in, in a country usually at their ports of entry. Because they're there. And he said, you know, you go into a country that's given over to idolatry. And when you go to your, your, your main airports that come in, the international places, you know, they have that all over the place. And you can see it. And that's true. And I've been in a lot of countries. I've been in every continent that's got people preaching the gospel. Uh, and I've seen that to be true since then. You know what you see at the most famous port of entry of the United States of America? What is it? What sets us apart in the world? Come on, y'all know Statue of Liberty. You know what is the biggest obstacle to the gospel in the hearts of American people? Is their freedom and their rights. Because they think that trumps everything else. I told you I'd all be mad before you left. We actually think, as Americans, that our democratic rights trumps the kingdom of God. And it doesn't. That's a lie. The kingdom of God trumps everything or you're outside of that kingdom. If you're not submitted to the reign and the sovereign rule of King Jesus, then you're submitted to another. And if you think you can get to the place where you can actually interchange the commandments of the kingdom with the commandments of anything outside of that, that's the kingdom you really pertain to. I, I, last night, I'm in my house. I told you, this is not, I'm not trying to preach. This is, I'm just talking. And 
a bunch of kids came over from the boys' football team and, and just their friends, and it was really cool. Then the night, we're in there watching a little bit of the football game, and, you know, I'm looking around my room because I like to do that, and just, I like to see who's around me. It tells me a lot about my life. And I got white people, black people, mixed people, Mexicans. I got every shade and color under the sun in there. Just not really, but a lot. In my little living room watching a football game. And, you know, and it's neat. I like that. I, I like that anybody feels like they can be around me regardless of their, of their, and where they come from or who they are. But they find acceptance under me. They find shade. And, and so I'm sitting there and, you know, we're watching a football game, man, you know, I don't have TV, and this is not against, not a statement against TV. I just don't. Um, and so when we do watch something, we got to stream it in, you know, if we can get service out there in the woods and all that stuff, and, which is not good. So we're watching this football game, and, and so there's a lot of commercials on there, you know, and, and it's, they're all political. You know, one commercial is this guy, and the next commercial is the next guy. And it's just on, stop. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Just put McDonald's or something on. I mean, I just, and I'm listening to them, you know. And, and, and so, you know, when I got all those kids in there, all those young guys and girls, whatever it might be, I, I'm not saying a lot, you know. I'm the old guy now. And so I, I just like to listen to them, you know, because you get to find out a lot about kids and because and, they'll talk if you let them. And so I'm just listening to all the conversations, and I mean, you know. Most of it, I'm just like, oh, Jesus. But, you know, them commercials come on, and all of a sudden, all them kids just start, like I said, I got every color in there. I got people that got a little bit of money, people that got no money. Everything's represented, everything. And I'm just sitting in there listening, and to all the comments about, you know, this candidate, when he comes and what he's saying, you know, and I'm just listening to it, you know, to hear what they got to say. And, and you know, and, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, you know, there's always been political systems, y'all. Since the day Jesus walked on this earth, there has been political systems and government that have risen and fallen. There's been every type that you can think of. There's been good ones and there's been bad ones. There's been evil ones. There's been some pretty righteous ones. And what I have learned through the word of God that, that the, the Lord, he actually gives the people what they want. According to their desire and hungering after him, that's what you get. And when you have a family of sons and daughters of God that burn and desire the Lord and that's what dominates the kingdom of God inside of that country, that's usually what happens. It begins to evade every crack and cranny of the gospel as it begins to run. And if that government won't submit to the truth of the gospel that's being released, the Holy Ghost just moves them out of the way. And there's changes. And so I have come to learn, learn to trust what God says, not to trust in princes. I trust in the living God. There's not a one of you except Miss Jazzy who's ever had a political conversation with me. 
And we had one the other day, and it, really, it wasn't a political conversation. It was about the truth of God inside of that. Don't you think, Miss Jasmine? Back me up. Just. <laughs> and it, it was just both of us telling each other the value of Jesus in the midst of all of this. And that being over everything. And none of, none of you in here know who I voted for. Tell me who I voted for. None of you can. If you say you know, you're lying. You know why? Because I was not sent here to preach politics to you. Paul lived in the middle of the Roman Empire, which was made up of conquered people groups and countries through, through conquest of war. And they incorporated so many religions and so many different colors of people and so many demographics. It incorporated everything because it spread over his known world during his life. And that's the day that Paul lived in. He actually lived during the reign of, of, the, of Nero, which is one of the most evil people to ever have reigned on the face of the planet. And he hated people who loved God and believed in Jesus. And God gave him the responsibility of taking the gospel throughout the Roman Empire that was wicked to its core. And Paul says, I did not come here to tell you or to know anything. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm here and I'm going to preach to you Jesus and him crucified and nothing else. And if anybody should have stood up and preached about politics and un, unholy governments, it should have been Paul. And he didn't touch it. Not because he was a coward. His life shows that he, he believed what he, he spoke. He was bitten, beaten many times, 39 lashes or 40 lashes minus one. He lost his head because he wouldn't deny Christ at Caesar's seat. He was anything but a coward. But he was not on a mission to change a government on the face of this planet. He was here to establish the kingdom of God. That's for eternity. And he realized you can't do both. And that's why none of y'all ever hear me talk about politics. And I'm not here telling you that you don't have a democracy. A, a dem democratic right inside of this country. If you were born here, you've been given that. And it's not wrong to exercise that if you think that's what God wants you to do. Your first move should be this. God, do you want me to vote? Most of you don't even think that's right to say. Because I was born in America and it's my right. So I was born again into the kingdom of heaven. And everything that comes after that is subjected to that king. So most of y'all are offended just because I said you ought to pray and see if you should vote. And from there, you should vote according to what's in line with the character and the heart of the Lord. And that's all I got to say about who you should vote for. I don't care who you vote for. One day... You will stand before God. And God's going to say, why did you do that? 
this is who I am. And if you say, I voted for that president because he's the same color as me, you're going to have a problem. I voted for this president because he was in the same party that I was in. You're going to have a problem. I voted for this person because they're the same sex I am. None of those are right. God, who do you want me to give my allegiance to in this way? And anything beyond that's wrong. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you think. I don't care who's told you something different. His name is King Jesus. And he is the one who should be making decisions in your life. And here's another statement that I want to say to the family. And just because you think it's this doesn't give you the right to put that on nobody else in here. I don't care who you're voting for, and I don't want to hear it. Shut your mouth talking to me about that. Because it doesn't, it's not what I'm here for. And it's not what you're here for. You know what I am? I am called an ambassador of Christ. Wherever I go, when I go to Walmart, I'm an ambassador of Christ. When I go to Mexico, I'm an ambassador of Christ. When I stand up on this platform, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I, I, I believe like this so strongly, y'all. When I went to UAB, I grew up an Auburn fan. My dad played and went to school there. And, you know, I just grew up that. But the day I walked onto the campus of UAB and signed there, I have never since that day put on any other team's logo except UAB's. I won't. People have given me clothes and shirts and hats. I will not wear. I won't. I will not wear. I mean, I might. God might tell me to dress up in some ungodly team's uniform next week and come. <laughs> and if he does, I will. But unless the voice of the Lord comes, I'm not. I'm sick of my God's team. <laughs> Doesn't that sound foolish? That's how people think about their opinions about their opinions. Your political opinions sound just as foolish to me as what just came out of my mouth about God's team. Yep, they might have some really good things they're trying to do, and I don't deny that. But that's not why I'm here, and that's not why you're here. Go to all the world, and what? Establish your, your party? Or preach the kingdom of heaven to every creature. And what's happening is, because of your opinion and your viewpoint on some of these things, you are losing the opportunity to preach the gospel to people around you. Because they pre-qualify you because of what you believe and what you promote so heavily in your life that they don't have the ability because of immaturity or because of not knowing God at all to hear anything else that comes out of your mouth. And you can stand before them and tell them about the love of God and all they can think about is what they saw on your Facebook post last night. And God sent you to that person to be the one to extend to him the love of God. And they can't receive it in themselves because you, you chose to promote something beside him. I heard Brother DJ say it a few days ago. 
He said, you want to know what I think is right to put on your Facebook page? Go look at my Facebook page. And I thought, that's right. I don't want nothing in my life keeping me from allowing the witness of Jesus to touch you. Nothing. And that doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't mean I haven't failed miserably at this. I have. And I probably will again. But there's one driving force in my life, and that is to get you to Jesus. And I trust the Holy Ghost to do the deeper work in you that I can't do. Because the Holy Ghost is the great teacher who will teach you all things. I am to bring you an introduction to him. I'm to bring you into proximity to him. I'm to share with you. But when it comes to real truth getting into your heart, it only comes through one, and his name is the Holy Ghost. And I don't want to do anything that shuts you down so you can't receive the word of life. In, in, in Mexico, you, you, we, politics is such a divisive thing in village life, and it's crazy because you would think that that wouldn't be the case, but they don't have any rights. They're the poorest of the poor. They've been driven back into the mountains for hundreds of years. You know, when me and Rachel first got there, schools were really just starting to get into villages. You just talking 20 years ago. That's why from my age up, over half or three-fourths of them can't read. Because one of the ways they were kept in that place was they were denied education. And they were told, you're only good for farming a half acre of land, and that's it. And so they were denied any opportunity socially to advance their lives and their families. And the only right, the power that they feel like they have in, in those village settings is to rise up with political upheavings. If they don't get what they want, they don't get the schools or they don't get the clinic in their village, they'll go out and block highways and take over the, the town squares of the courthouses and, you know, and they do all of that. It's usually not violent unless it's election time and then they'll kill people. But it, it, that's, it's just it's a normal way of life there. And so another thing that happens when the gospel gets established, especially if you've got a good church going, and you got a lot of people in it, what happens is the candidates start coming trying to buy the pastor and buy the votes of the church. And then they'll come in, and you might have 100 people in there, and they say, we'll give you 100 plastic chairs. And a plastic chair in a village is like a throne. You know, and they'll say, we'll give you 100 chairs. We'll, we'll put a tin roof on your building. We'll put a cement floor in. We'll give everybody in your village a dispenser or some type of handout of of household stuff. Just tell them to vote like we tell you to. And I have seen churches split over politics more than any other thing. And the minute politics rears its head up in one of my churches, I, I take out the acts of the Lord. You keep politics out. Don't wear your shirt in the house. Don't wear your hat in the house. Don't ever let me hear a political party coming out of your... If you stand up here and preach, I better never hear a political party come out of your mouth. I don't care how right you think you are. Don't care. I told you, this is the authority of God I'm, I'm telling you right now. Paul didn't do it. Jesus didn't do it. We're not going to do it. And you can do whatever you like. You just can't do it here. Okay? Is that clear enough? You can't do it here. No, don't clap. I don't want no clapping. I don't want no clapping. Uh, this ain't clapping thing. Stop, mama. 
It's just not what we're here for. I'm here to see souls saved. And you know what I know? That if I can see enough hearts made new by the blood of Jesus, the government seems to sort itself out. You think you're going to see this nation change by putting somebody else in office? God will let you go that route again. That's why we're standing in the position we are in as a country because the church of God has chosen to believe in a man instead of Jesus for the change and the power that we need to have life flow. That's why we're in the position we're in. Because we actually think if we get this guy or that guy or this woman or that woman in, then things are going to get better. No, no it's not. When Jesus begins to reign and rule in the hearts of the sons of daughters of Yahweh, change will happen. The family of God and the culture inside of the house of God always enforces change on the culture outside. When we surrender our authority and our, our rights as sons and daughters of God to the culture outside, that's when the culture outside permeates the culture inside of the house and we become powerless I love you and I'm not trying to make any of you mad but I don't care how mad you get because this is right souls are at stake and I, I, I just we can't, we can't kill people over this you know there's great injustice in our country there, there's great travesties happening there's there's all kind of evil going on that's it just is and I, I don't deny any of that and I don't deny any of your rights to vote and exercise that stuff I don't deny any of your rights to have opinions but all of that should be put in check in light of Jesus Christ and the mandate we have from heaven to preach the gospel when you think those things have a right to trump the mandate of God, you're wrong. No matter how right you are, you're wrong. A lot of times, the word of God lines up with things that are happening and he wants to change. And that's true. But when you try to attack those things through the, the realm of politics, and that's what you promote, even though you're, you're, you don't believe it is, then it's wounding people around you. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I, I got a book that I, I've reread several times. It's really cool. I really like it. It's by a fellow named Frank Biola. And the title of the book is called The Untold Story of the New Testament Church. And, and it's, it's a pretty simple book. And, and basically what it does, it, it takes the letters of Paul and the books of Acts and, it, and he just basically lays it out in chronological order. He, he doesn't have a lot of opinions of, of anything in there. He basically just rearranges the book according to the, that it, 
the real time frame, because you know the Bible, the books of the New Testament are not in the order they were written. Okay, that's just everybody knows that, and it's not that I think that's wrong or, or right. It's just what it is. So he just puts it in the right order, and he takes the the book of Acts and he puts it in the right place to accompany the letters that Paul was writing, and along with that. He has a, a little section in each chapter that deals with, it says to sharpen the focus, and he deals with the culture that was present when Paul showed up. It's really neat. just says this was the religion, this is how many people they were, this is how many people's died, or infants died in childbirth. It just, you know, just when they were conquered by Rome, it's just got basic facts. And so it's really neat when you read that. Because it just allows you to see the different cultures that Paul had to confront as he went on his missionary journey. It's amazing that that guy was able to in, enter into one culture, leave that, go across the river, and it'd be a completely different people group and preach the same gospel and see the same results. People born again, people healed, him beaten. <laughs> That's how it went. Okay? It's really neat. And I'm sure that he had different applications at times. And he had learned and honed his skill on how to present the gospel. And so he probably did it in lots of different ways. But the message was the same. He never touched politics. In fact, this is what he says. I, Paul, or Frank Viola says this. It says, this is his quote. He says, the believers are constantly talking about their Lord just as constantly as Jesus talked about his Father. The Christians in Antioch, where they were first known as Christians, are consumed with Jesus Christ. And out of the abundance of the heart of their hearts, their mouths speak. Antioch is the first place people were ever called Christians because they promoted out of the abundance of their heart with their mouth and their life one person. And his name was Jesus. And they did it so much that people would see them when they gathered or when they got around them or listened to them talk. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Because that's all they did was talk about Jesus. And that's the only thing people could have to identify them by. They talk about Christ. They talk about Christ. That's the example we should follow. People should know we're Christians because he's all we talk about. All right. Let me read this to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made to God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, that's what God desires, for people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, who is Jesus. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all and to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I am speaking the truth of Christ, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith of truth. And if you go to the very beginning of the verse, start in verse 1, it says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now I'm going to read that list again. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, 
prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. I want you all to hear that. For all men, for kings and all who are in authority, not the ones you like, for all who are in authority. And what are you supposed to do for them? You're supposed to pray. You ain't just supposed to pray. You're supposed to intercede. And not that they die. And why did Paul say to do that? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I remember one time I was in North Carolina... And we'd got invited to go preach at this place. I'd never been there before. And, you know, I was young. I was quite younger then. And it was probably 15 or so years ago, I think. I don't remember exactly. And I didn't know these folks. So we'd been invited to preach. And I got into this setting. And they were all older people in their 60s and up. And we're at a house. And they were getting to know us before service the next day. <clears throat> we're sitting in there. And I'm being quiet. You know, these are all godly people. I mean, I could recognize these people love God. And, and things were going great, and they were talking. I wasn't saying much, and all of a sudden, they went to politics. And, man, they, President Obama was president at the time, and, man, they started in on him. Lord have mercy. And I was really raw back then because I would come straight out of the years of in the mountains and go out and just, and just breathe fire. And didn't understand that's not how you get to people's hearts. And, uh, and I just would just blast everything. It didn't look like Jesus to me. And I've had to ask for mercy and forgiveness. But that's how I did it. And I'm sitting there listening to these people. And they are, I mean, it was horrible. I mean, they were up one side and down the, I mean, it was vicious. And, it, and, and you know, it was so bad. I mean, they're not even talking about his policies. They done moved on to him as a human being. And, and it wasn't racial, but it was just degrading because he wasn't their guy. And so, you know, I'm just sitting there. I done got quiet because I'm boiling on the inside. I'm boiling on the inside. These people done brought me up here to preach Jesus. And I don't, I mean, I, you're acting like you don't even know him. And so I just sat, I'm just over in the quiet being, in the corner being really quiet. And uh, they went on for 10, 15 minutes. Finally, the man who invited me up there looked over at me, and he's like, well, Brother Bo, what do you think about, you know, President Obama? And I actually had this verse memorized at the time. I said, I think what God thinks. I said, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in all God and reverence. And whoever ain't doing that, so the devil needs to repent. I just put my head back now. <laughs> and that was the last time I got invited to that conversation. <laughs> and I didn't vote for President Obama. I didn't vote for President Trump. So there you go. Figure that out. My, I, I've raised my children. It doesn't matter who the name of the person is. 
when the, he has president before him, that's how you call him president. And when you speak about it, it better be with respect to the office that God put him in. And if you're not doing that as sons and daughters of God, you should repent because you're in sin. I don't care. I hope you get offended because that just shows the state of your heart. If you can't read the gospel and hear something as clear as that and realize you're wrong and not repent, you are in sin. And see, me telling you that makes you really accountable right now. You maybe not have known that verse and not really fully understanding uh, yeah, but all of a sudden you, you know it now so go forth this day and decide how you'll walk before the living God and I'm not playing you're in sin if you're not doing this I know people who complain continuously and they've never said a prayer they've never interceded for the man's soul and when I say man you can pick any one of them you want or woman Absolute disobedience to a strict command of the living God. And you want to come in here and raise your hands and talk about Jesus? You don't have the heart of God active, active in you. That is the heart of hell. You're not desiring like God that all men be saved everywhere. You're wanting everybody to be saved who looks just like you. Who thinks just like you. Those are the only acceptable ones. That ain't right. That is not who we are going to be in this house. I will not be associated with something different than this. Because that's not Jesus. That is not the heart of my father. And that's not how I walk. And that is not how brother DJ walks. You're following something else. Ain't right, y'all. If Paul had a reason to stand up and rail on a ruler, if somebody had, it was Paul. They were taking Christians and sticking sticks right up their bottoms and tarring them up and lighting them on fire so they could have street lights. And what did Paul respond to in that way? Intercede for them. Because God wants that man to know him. Did it make his wickedness and his injustice and his, his, his evil be any less? It didn't. It wasn't an excuse. But Paul was part of a greater kingdom and he understood that that man needed to be born again. Whether he gets there or not is not for you to decide, nor I. My job is to intercede for him. And if the next guy gets in there, my job is to intercede for him. And when the next one gets in there, my job is to intercede for him. Regardless of what his policies are. And see, if you can't bring your spirit into submission to this, you need to go sit with Jesus because you've got problems. And this is just one of the areas it's manifesting in. And I'm not telling you this because I think worse or I think bad of you or it's just this is immaturity manifesting or not knowing God, one or the other. And both of those can be fixed. Both of these are just, just things that we've allowed the culture around us 
that's permeated the church and outside of these walls to tell us this is how you're supposed to think. But Paul explicitly tells you that we should have our minds renewed with the washing of the word. I didn't get born again until I was 24 years old. So for 24 years old, I made decisions based off a mindset that hell had given me. What was right, what was honorable, what should happen, and how I should be treated and how I should treat other people was completely formed off what hell said. And, 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 and you know, not that all of it was bad. But a lot of it was so perverted and twisted that I couldn't properly treat the creation of God the way that he intended for me to do it until I began washing my mind with the word of God. When I got born again, and I've said this here before, when I got born again, I thought if I'm not sleeping around and I'm not selling drugs and I'm not stealing stuff from people's houses and I'm not punching people in the mouth anymore, I am as holy as holy can be. I thought that. I really did because that's what happened immediately. There was such a great change in my life on these, these, these glaring things. I thought that was it. But all of a sudden, I got a hunger for the Word of God, and I began to devour this Word because I wanted to know Him. And I became terrified when I started reading the Bible because I realized I, I, I was so far from being like Jesus that it was ridiculous. You want to know how to change the world around you? This man's been preaching about it for the last three or four months. He taught on the, on the Sermon on the Mount for weeks. That's how you change the world you live in, by being changed. And then all of a sudden, your life is so overwhelmingly attracted to people around you because of the goodness of God flowing unhindered through you, people start coming and becoming like Jesus because they want what you have. Not because of the political party that you're trumping. We, we have to let God tell us what's right. You have to actually begin to read your Bible. You actually have to believe that God's really speaking to you and trying to show you what's right and, and, and approved before his eyes. This is not a come to, to a service once a week and let somebody else stand up and tell you who God is and what, what he says. This is supposed to be us coming together and being and being together celebrating his goodness that we've experienced for the week and that we're going to experience for the next week and celebrating who he is. Let me show you some, some real life application in this from Paul because I, I, Paul's a really good example. Paul in Acts 23, you know, he's at the end of his road and he's standing before the Sanhedrin and they've accused him of blaspheming, blaspheming the name of God. They, you know, they, they hate the gospel. And so the, 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 the Jewish religious order of the day, they're trying to stop him. And you know, he's called in front of the Sanhedrin. And, and in Acts 23, verse 1, um, Paul begins to speak. And he says, Paul, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council... These are the men fixing to judge his life. I said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That's a pretty big statement. Just saying a bunch of, of real high-polluting religious people. 
I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. He got slapped in the mouth because he said he had lived before the Lord in a good conscience. If anybody had a right to be mad and say some things at this moment, it was probably Paul. And then the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you you whitewashed wall. So he did. He let him have it. God's going to strike you, (laughs) you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? See, that's who a lot of us are today. We're actually trying to use the law as we slap people in the mouth. And we're judging them according to the law. And we're slapping them like God's given us the right to. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Let's all say that together because it's the Bible. Let's see if you can gather up enough courage to say this with me. You say y'all come on. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I didn't say that. Paul wasn't the first person to say it. You're accountable for the words that just came out. You will be judged, the scripture teaches, by your words. No ignorance in the house. Oh, I hope you you get so mad if you won't change it, just don't come back. And I don't want you to leave, but if you refuse to submit to the word of God, you need to go somewhere else. You can run and reign, but you're not going to do it here. And I'm not saying this to a person. There's lots of things, and it's not, it's not an individual. It's just hell looking for a way to stop what he wants to do here. That's all it is. It's not a new trick. We're not special. We're not different. Hell's looking for an avenue in, and most of us have not had our minds regenerated by the washing of the Word. We're just getting swept away, and we don't even know we're gone yet. See, I do what Brother DJ says. I read my Bible. See, I read things like that, and all of a sudden fear grips my heart when I think about something I've said or something I've done. And all of a sudden I think, oh, crud, that ain't right. And I just got up and said it was. And what it does, it doesn't put me under condemnation. It makes me responsible for truth. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to vote somebody out of office if you're not in agreement with them and you think that's what the Lord wants you to do. But you're not supposed to be walking around speaking evil of the rule of your people. You're not supposed to be walking around speaking evil of anybody. Paul said, don't let corrupt speech come out of your mouth. And y'all, a lot of times, want to act like he's talking about cuss words. And yes, but anything is corrupt that comes out of the mouth of a son and daughter of God that is not for the edification of the hearer. If it is not edifying and bringing people into a 
the opportunity to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus, it's corrupt and not of God. That's Ephesians, y'all, if y'all want to look it up. In John chapter 6, is when Jesus was walking on the earth as a man. And and, and people saw the way the multitudes flocked to him. They saw the way the, the people hung on his words. They saw the influence that he had. They didn't like the government that they were subjected to because it was the Roman Empire and they were being taxed and they were being just, you know, they, they were a conquered nation. So they got treated like a conquered nation. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus with signs and wonders and the authority and the power of the living God operating through him. And everybody flocked to him. And everybody thought, this guy could be the one to set us free from Rome. This guy has the power to change our lives for good and make our nation great again and do this and do that. And so they came to Jesus, and it says right here in chapter 6 that they came to him, but Jesus understood why they were coming. He said, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, not king of their heart, but king of their land, to give them better taxes and to give them less suffering at the hands of government. When they came to get him, they were going to make him king. He just got up and left. He wasn't here to do that. He was not here to establish a kingdom at the head of, of Jerusalem over, over, over the people in that sense. And even when you go to Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven and he's telling them about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they ask him, is this, when are you going to come and establish your kingdom here? Because they still were thinking about earthly terms. They were still thinking, when are you going to come and get us free from the hand of Rome? And he, and he just lovingly began to deal with them and make them understand, do you not understand that ain't why I'm coming? And, 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 you know, and that's what I want to do to y'all today. I'm not trying to abuse you. I'm not, I, I am rebuking some of y'all for allowing the mindset of this world to still be in you after knowing Jesus. There is a better, more excellent way. And it's his way. I don't have a political side. I want Jesus. I sat in my chair the other day and I asked him, Lord, do you want me to vote? I did, I asked him. Do you want me to vote? And I said, if you do, who do you want me to vote for? That's what I did, and that's what I do. And I encourage y'all to do the same. But apart from that, I hold you accountable as sons and daughters of the living God for the truth that you receive and for the kingdom that you, you say you are submitted to and walk in. To let that be what guides and dominates and and, and, and authorizes your speech, your actions, and your life on this planet. We have a higher law. We have a much higher purpose. 
And we are the light of the world that Jesus has chosen to touch our generation through. And we must not allow anything to come into our life or come out of us that doesn't allow that to happen. And if we will actually move in, in, in the truth of God in this, our house will not be full, full of strife. Hell, we'll have to find another way to try to stop what God wants to do in our families in our homes and in our marriages and in our city and in our schools and our state. He'll have to go find a different tactic because this one isn't working here. It works in most places. It really does. That's why when you walk in a church, everybody looks the same. You walk in this one over here, they all look the same. That ain't right. They're not the kingdom of God. Not right. Unless everybody looks the same when you walk out them doors. All right, I'm going to end right here. That's enough. In Mark chapter 9. We can't allow our freedom and our liberties to be stumbling blocks for other people. You know, Paul, he, he said that when he was dealing, he used the example of meat. If you eat meat, you don't eat meat. You celebrate this holiday, you don't celebrate that. That's why I don't ever stand up and talk about some of the things I don't agree with that some people do. Unless it is going to be an obstacle to somebody making it to Jesus. Even though I'm very strongly opinionated about that. I knew you'd figure it out. We had a conversation about, about this. And uh, he said that, you know, just because we have certain rights and liberties and freedoms, we got to make sure that we're not using them to keep somebody else from seeing Jesus. You know, that's why I don't do and say certain things. It's not that I don't feel very strongly about it. It's just not the mission God's given me in my life. You know what? We, 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 we might have governors in here. We might have some presidents in here. We might have senators and congress people in here. We might have mayors and police chiefs. And we might have, like, our sons that are going to them. Uh, we, we have in this family people that are, that are strategically called by the Lord to occupy some of those positions. And when they do, it won't be wrong. But if we do our job properly in the house of God, when they go forth in that position, they will go forth under the mindset of the kingdom of God. And they will execute their responsibilities and their authority in such a way that it reflects Christ everywhere they go. And it will establish the order of God, not man. So I'm not against any of this. It just has to be properly placed and handled through the lens of the kingdom of God. And I respect everybody's right to vote differently in here. You don't vote like I vote. If I vote, that's not going to offend me. I just don't want you to offend like it says right here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to enter into, the, into life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell. You know, and here, here's the problem. You know who the little ones are? All of us. 
We're all the little ones of God. We're all the sheep of Jesus. Some of us are further along down the rail of a road of understanding and time and, and maturity, and some of us are not. But you, you really don't know where somebody is sitting next to you right now in their walk with Jesus and their level of maturity in certain areas of the gospel. And you just don't know what can make them stumble. And, you know, I have come to learn because, you know, I'm loud. And I, I, if I think it, I speak it, you know. But I have learned over time that the level of influence that God has given me over people's lives and the input that he's given me and the favor that, that people will allow me to speak to them, I have learned that I can't have a lot of casual words coming out of my mouth. That I have to be really calculated in what I say. Because people think so much about my words, and I'm not speaking how I'm, but it's just the truth. I have given given favor. My words carry weight with y'all. And so I just can't run around talking about anything. Because in a minute, God's going to say, go and tell him this. And I have, if I have ruined my testimony before him and my witness, he won't be able to hear what God wants me to tell him. And you're the same way. God has given each one of us a level of grace and influence and power and anointing to preach his gospel. And we don't know who the little ones are among us. You just don't know what words casually spoken and carelessly given life to out of your mouth are going to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Come on now. Come on. We have to change. We have to mature. We have to allow the work of Christ progress in us. We have to be ambassadors of the living God. That has to be what people know and see and expect from us. And inside of this door, the doors of this church and the doors of your heart, you have to be really guarded on what you let in so that you don't cause one of these little ones to stumble because God does not respond very well to that. And I just want my words to be life. Even when they're hard sometimes, I still want them to be given in love and life and truth and in sincerity and a lot of thoughtfulness. I have for weeks thought about these words. Brother DJ knows I've been banging forward with him. Man, I want to say it, but I don't know. I, I, want to, I need to have this talk, but I don't know. I, if I do, it's going to cause problems. Some people are going to get mad. And I, we've been banging forward. This is not me just getting up here spouting off at the mouth. This is me and Brother DJ and me being exposed to situations around me knowing that this is happening. But it's not just here. It's happening everywhere. Most people just don't care. And so I have hours prayed over these words. Hours thought about how to present this to the family so that it would be for life and not death. Because it matters to me that we go forward together. Inevitably, some people are going to give us relief and responsibility for their souls, like Brother Pat used to say. And I will bless you going out them doors. And if you can find a better place, let me know when you get there because I'm probably coming. But this is good, what we have here. It's good what, what you have in Clanton, David. It's good. There's life flowing. And hell wants to shut that down. There's a rap song me and my kids like, and it's called Not Today, Satan. So, y'all please take this and just listen to it. 
Once you get done being mad, sit on your front porch or sit in your chair. Once emotions settle, begin to reflect on these words. And find the heart of God in that for, for you. Because it, it is. It's the heart of the Father. Y'all know I'm here because I believe that God sent me here. And I also believe that God has chosen this family and has chosen David and Brenda and Clanton and the family at Dwelling Place because he wants us to be so involved in the poured out of the Spirit of the Lord in this day. It has been prophesied over all of our families. It is, it is, it is so present what God wants to do. And we're so on the verge of seeing that in different ways. And we gotta, we gotta be vigilant. We gotta mature. We gotta change and be different. We gotta allow Christ to have his perfect work in us so God can get glory. Because that's what matters, that he gets his glory. Y'all stand up, I'm gonna pray over y'all. Jesus, I just thank you. Thank you for your life. I thank you for your kingdom that you, you so mercilessly invited us into. Thank you for the examples that you've given us to follow, Father. I just pray that you'd give your sons and daughters strength in this hour and you'd give them wisdom. You'd give us wisdom and you'd give us an ear to hear and an eye to see with that you'd help us separate truth, Father. Lie. That we would understand that, that who we are, Father, to our generation is priceless. And that it's not somebody in an office that's going to change our nation. It's going to be us. And if we look somewhere else, Father, we're just going to miss it another generation. And you'll let us go down another, another name and another party and another group. And it'll be the same results, God. But if we turn to you, Father, you'll pour your spirit out on high. And you'll do something man could never do. You'll begin to make hearts new. You'd begin to make hearts new. You'd begin to change us in a way that looses the glory of God on a generation and a country. I thank you, Father, that we have the freedom to even get up and say the things we do. So I appreciate being born here. I appreciate what I've been given just by being born here. It's valuable to me, God. And I thank you for it. And I don't belittle it at all. And I want to honor you with that by using the voice that I have to speak your name and preach your gospel and to love your love to everybody I come in contact with and not be the reason that one little one would stumble. I've made enough people stumble, God. I don't want nobody else stumbling because of me. Let the words of my mouth be true and pure. Let the motives of my heart be right before you, Father. And let be the thing that people know me for be you and nothing else. I don't want to be known for anything except you, Jesus. Let that be the goal and the drive of my life to represent the living God. Touch us, Father, and I ask that we find grace in our hearts to forgive each other. That we forgive people who have not done right with what they've been given. We, that we would forgive words spoken without thinking about the, 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 the result and the consequences and the actions, Father. God, we're all just trying to make this. Let us grab hold of a new grace and a new strength to stand up and to surrender areas of our life we haven't let go of yet. 
so that people will see that there is a God who works change even in us. Come on, let mercy be what flows between the sons and daughters of God. Let forgiveness and the seeking of forgiveness and humility be one of the greatest characteristics of our life. Father, teach us how to go to one another when we're offended and speak from the heart so that we can walk together on this path called Jesus. God, I rebuke that picking up your ball and going home spirit. I rebuke it. You put us here as a family. A family don't get a right to divorce each other before you. Teach us how to come together and work things out so we can see your glory come. Jesus' name, I thank you, God, for mercy and kindness. You are wonderful and your kingdom is wonderful. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless everybody here. I bless the work of their hands and I bless their homes. I bless their marriages. I bless their children. I bless the land they stand on, Father. Overtake them in the way with your presence. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Company of Believers podcast. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to sow into this ministry, please go to www.companyofbelievers.com and select Give. Thank you for listening.